0: The book of Ephesians, um, if I could get you all to turn there, we will look at the first two chapters of the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. Now the Apostle Paul was sent by God to the Gentile churches um, and to specifically preach to the Gentiles. Um, and... And in this case, he's, he's, uh, he's written, he wrote quite a few um, epistles to the general churches, and uh, this is his, church, his epistle to the church in Ephesus. Um, probably would be a good idea to talk now about what is a Gentile. Um, so in the Jewish um, way of thinking and in the way that God saw it as well, there were Jews... And then there were non-Jews, and the non-Jews were referred to by the Jews as Gentiles. So basically, um, to the Jewish mind, there were two classes of people. Um, There were the Jews, those that received the law, the the Ten Commandments, the laws of Moses, and had the promises and the blessings of God on their lives, and the Gentiles, who had none of that. Um, They didn't have a way of salvation that God had set before them, and they were basically... Um, well, the Jews probably thought they were there to make up the numbers, um, for want of a better, better phrase. Now, the Apostle Paul was a Jew, our former Pharisee, um, and the Pharisee was, was the, the best possible uh, uh, way of teaching and, and the best, had the best possible understanding of the Word of God and tried to live before God in all righteousness and holiness. He was a former Pharisee who had been taught perfectly in all the laws and the commandments of God and of the Pharisees. The Pharisees had their own rules on top of, of uh, the laws and commandments of God, but we won't go into that this morning. So we'll start in Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 1. Good place to start. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints which are at Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus. So, this epistle wasn't meant to be only for the Ephesians, but also for the faithful in Christ Jesus. This could mean that the epistle was written to all the churches. However, taking into account that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, and that a Paul apparently never wrote an epistle to any Jewish church, it most probably means that it was particularly written to Ephesus and all the Gentile churches of the time. Verse 2, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to go into a deep theological study, but we know that the word and, um, as in and from the Lord Jesus Christ, can also be translated as the word even from the same Greek word if the context is correct. In this verse, translating as even from the Lord Jesus Christ would have made more theological sense and harmonized with the rest of Scripture. Two separate beings, God and Jesus Christ, were not intended to be referenced by the original writer. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 it says, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead body. It's talking about Jesus. Everything that made God God was in Jesus as he walked on this earth. And so we can quite rightly call Jesus God. Verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Brother Simon has discussed the topic of predestination recently. To sum it all up, individual people are not predestinated to go to heaven, no matter what they do. That's the wrong way of looking at this word predestination. But a group of people, i.e. the church, has been predestinated to go to heaven. Those that follow God, those that walk in his ways, are predestinated to go to heaven. God has set that as as in, in stone. This doesn't mean that everybody that attends church or attends a church will go to heaven. But those that follow Jesus in truth and obey all His commandments will be a part of the church that goes to heaven. Ephesians chapter one verse four really puts to death the notion of individuals being predestinated, no matter what they do, because it says that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. Holiness is not something that is a natural attribute of a person or something that God automatically bestows on people, as other scriptures make clear. Leviticus chapter 20 and verse seven says, "Sanctify yourselves, therefore, and be ye holy, for I am the Lord your God." So there's a sanctification before the holiness. And First 1 Peter, 1:14 1 to16, says, "As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy." It's an action, something we have to do, something we have to prepare to be. So there is a necessary sanctification and obedience, a separation from sin, as those verses say, before a person can be considered holy before God. Someone who goes their own way and does their own thing can't be considered to be holy, and so therefore disqualifies themselves from that predestination that is being referred to in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4-5. to And that's even without considering the without blame part of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. You're only without blame if Jesus has washed away your sins in baptism and you live a life pleasing to God afterwards. If you go your own way and do your own thing, you're by definition sinning and definitely not without blame. So the verses are talking about the predestination of the church. And when you look at the context of the book of Ephesians, it's in particular talking about the predestination of there being a Gentile church there would also be saved not only a Jewish church. Ephesians one verse six to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. The beloved is widely believed to be referring to Jesus Christ, and I believe that it's particularly referring to the Gentile Church being accepted in the new dispensation of grace that came by Jesus Christ, or in other words the church age. Verse 7. In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. It's pretty awesome when you think about it. Wherein he hath abounded, abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, with which he hath purposed in himself. So, the mystery is no longer a mystery. But... It has been revealed. Visions, uh, verse 10 goes on to say, That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Some commentators believe that the things in heaven are either the angels or the redeemed saints or both, and the things on earth are the church or the Jewish church or the people of the world. However, other commentators believe that the things that are in heaven refer to the Jewish people, who were called of God and given laws and commandments directly from heaven for their salvation, as opposed to the things which are on earth, which refers to the Gentile peoples, who had no respect for God and had no means of salvation or redemption. I believe that arguments can be made for either interpretation. second interpretation fits in better with the overall theme and context of the previous and following passages, but the first interpretation seems to fit in better with the context of the following verse. Verse 11, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. The Gentile church was non-existent before the age of grace, ushered in by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The Gentiles didn't have a hope, a way of salvation, but now have obtained an inheritance in that, which was out of bounds in the Old Testament way of thinking. Visions 112, that that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ. The fact that the Gentile church is able to take part in the same body as the Jewish church is something that both should be and was celebrated and honored by the Jewish Christians. Were the ones that first trusted in Christ. Verse 13 In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So not only the Jewish church trusted in Christ, but the Gentile church also trusted in Christ and received the Holy Ghost just as the Jewish church had received it. You're saying that not only did the, the Jews get the baptism of the Holy Ghost, but the Gentiles did as well. And we know that the Holy Ghost is that earnest of the redemption of our purchased salvation. It's, it's, our, um, it's our ticket, you might say, to go to heaven. Because God has given us his spirit just like he gave the Jewish people. Verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul wants the Ephesian church to understand the magnitude of what it means to be a part of the church of God. Remember that these were Gentile believers who before they were saved probably knew nothing about God and his ways. They just knew the ways of the world and that was it. They weren't brought up in... The Bible. They weren't brought up in the law, in, in the ways of Moses. They weren't brought up in Jewish traditions. They knew nothing except carnality and, and the ways of man. It was something truly majestic that God made a way for Gentiles to be saved at all. And Paul wants them to realize the awesomeness of God's grace. Verse 19 And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe? according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Paul talks about the majesty and supreme power of Jesus and how he has set up the church in preparation for Paul's talking about the contrast with the natural state of the Gentile believers before they were given this incredible opportunity. It continues on in verse 1, And you hath he quickened, talking about the Gentiles, who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. From here on in, it's really important to note the use of the word you or ye, which is the old English form, the use of the word we, and the use of the word us to get the full meaning in the context of the scripture. You and ye refers to the Gentile believers. Paul is talking from the perspective of being a Jew himself. We is either referring to the Jewish believers, who Paul is a representative of, or to both the Gentile and Jewish believers together, depending on the context of the verse. And us is always referring to the Gentile and the Jewish believers together. Paul has just talked about the natural state of the Gentile believers. Who had no connection with God before the church? He says, "You hath He quickened." And in time past, you walked. He's talking about how bad and and how horrendous they were before God, before they had the opportunity of salvation. And then continues on in verse three: "Among whom also we all, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind." and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Now Paul brings in, as well, the natural state of the Jewish people. He says, also we, trying to, and, and the Jewish people, in trying to follow a law which is heavenly, using their own human will, and falling far short of the mark. It's worth noting that the Jewish people needed just as much saving as the Gentiles when Jesus walked the earth. Verse 4, but God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us made us alive together with Christ by grace ye are saved and now paul talks about the great mercy and love of god in making a way of salvation the same way of salvation for both the jews and the gentiles Remember, the Jews are God's chosen people, so God has always made a way of salvation for them down through the centuries. There has always been a way for God's chosen people to be saved and and to make it into heaven. But salvation for the Gentiles is a completely new thing and is only by the incredible grace of God. And he wants the Ephesian church to realize that by grace ye are saved. He's talking specifically to the Ephesian church Because it's only by grace that you now have this way of salvation. Verse six, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul is stating that there is no difference in the Jewish and Gentile believers; that both have the same status, or status and access to God's power and grace as each other. The Gentiles shouldn't consider themselves second-class citizens in the church. Because God has raised up all peoples and nations together, as the verse says. Verse 7, that in the ages to come, that's talking about us here, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. The Gentile believers needed to be reminded that it isn't because they were already worthy of salvation or because of some supposed new status that God had rejected the Jews and now was only working with the Gentiles, but it's only by the grace of God himself that they now have this way of salvation. I find it interesting that Paul mentions this way of salvation is not of works, which contrasts with the way that the Jews were following or trying to follow the law of God. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. They were trying to follow laws and commandments. They were trying to do it by works. Paul would have seen the results of pride in the Pharisees, who were supposedly more holy and were supposedly following the way of the law, were perfectly. The Pharisees, however, the Pharisees were so proud that they completely missed who Jesus was and tried to persecute him instead of worshipping him. That's the danger of, of uh, trying to live by works and boasting in them. Verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So the works aren't what saves us, but once we are saved, God has ordained that good works should and will follow in the lives of those following Christ. Verse 11, Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. The Jewish people had the way of circumcision, uh, which was uh, put down generation by generation by God, but the Gentiles had no such thing. That at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh or near by the blood of Christ. Paul reminds the Gentile believers of just where they were before Jesus died for all people, both for the Jews and the Gentiles. See, the Gentiles were truly and completely lost with no hope of salvation because God hadn't made a way at that time for the Gentiles to be saved. Verse 14, for he is our peace, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. You see, there was a huge barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews could be saved through the law, which was only for the Jews. The Gentiles couldn't be saved. That's a huge barrier, something that's between them, that separates them with, uh, without having any way of getting around. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain or two one new man, so making peace. To bring in this new way of salvation for all, something had to be torn down. And that was the exclusively Jewish law. The Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law and that his death brought in a New Testament which closed the chapter on the necessity of the Jewish law for salvation. Matthew 5.17 says, Jesus is talking, saying, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill, to bring everything to completion. Hebrews 9.15 talks about the, the New Testament. Um, for this cause, he, talking about Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death talking about his death, Jesus' death. For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is a force after men are dead, otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. So God had to come robed in human flesh and die before That old Testament could be taken away. Romans 7 4 says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So the law is now not applicable to anyone who wants to follow Christ and receive salvation. For to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, only Jesus could bring together two separate peoples from two completely different sets of privileges and backgrounds and make them equal in his and each other's sight. Only Jesus could do that. It's like the lowliest peasant suddenly being adopted by a king and becoming a prince overnight. That's the change in the status of the Gentiles. From nothing, no hope, to having all hope in Jesus. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were nigh you which were afar off refers to the gentiles and them that were nigh refers to the jews saying no one is left out all people were preached to all people have that same chance and that same access to god in salvation verse 18 for through him we both have access by one spirit unto the father there's no difference in the way that the gentiles can approach to god can approach god either There's no extra hoops or needing to become a Jew before they can be saved. But both Jews and Gentiles have the same perks and privileges together. Verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners. You're not our castes, you're not a different people, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The apostles of the New Testament and the prophets of the Old Testament both laid foundations which God planned to use to build his New Testament church. And Jesus is the chief cornerstone, the one where all measurements and angles and lines of sight go through, the one that gives a solid basis and a foundation for the rest of the building. Um, I, uh, I don't know much about building myself, but I do know that there is a reference point in all ways of building. And in the olden days, it was the chief cornerstone. They laid one stone. They made sure it was right. It was the right level. They made sure it was, it was perfect in, wi- in the way in which they wanted to build the rest of the building. And then everything came off that um, stone. Every measurement, everything that was built had to be measured, had to be in line with what that stone had been put down. Jesus is that chief cornerstone in the church. Verse 21, In whom all the building, fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So both the Gentiles and Jews are added to the household of God, brick by brick together. There isn't an exclusive Gentile wall in this building where the Gentiles are only built with the rest of the walls being Jews only. There's no segregation anymore. God has put all, both Jews and Gentiles together, same access, same privileges, same same church. But brick, brick by brick, they are added to the church. As they are added to the church, God lays another brick. Jew, Gentile, Jew, Jew, Gentile, 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 Jew. Whatever order they come in, they are laid in this foundation, this building to God, all working together to build up the kingdom of God. The bricks aren't different sizes either. The gentle bricks aren't smaller because of their, their lesser status, um, because they, they hadn't been without God for a long time, but all is the same size in the kingdom of God, otherwise they don't all fit together. And so the kingdom of God is built stone by stone, brick by brick. The book of Ephesians overall, and especially in these chapters, is all about how there are no distinctions between Jews and Gentiles in the church. And the same principles apply to all nations and races today. There are no second-class citizens in the church. There are no peoples, there's no nations, there's no nationalities that is any lesser than any other nationality in the church. God has brought us all together, all peoples Jews and Gentiles. There there was no greater distinction between two races of people than the Jews and the Gentiles. No distinction. We can't make a comparison to any races of people today that was anything like the distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews could be saved, Gentiles couldn't. The Jews were favored of God, the Gentiles weren't. There's no greater distinction that could be made but of that. And then we've just read that God brought them both together in one, meshed them all together, made them one people, one nationality under him, one heavenly nationality. And so it's nothing for God to bring together all races of the world, all peoples, all nations, and bring them all together into one building, into one church where we all help each other, where we all encourage each other, where we all lift each other up and help each other to get. To heaven. The church is still being built until the very last brick is laid before Jesus' return for the church. Day by day, there's people coming into the kingdom of God. And if you're a visitor here this morning, I want you to know that you're welcome here. It doesn't matter what nationality, what race, what people you are from, you are welcome here. You are welcome in Jesus'. Jesus welcomes you, and we welcome you to this church. Whether your race has traditionally thought that you are inferior to another race, whether your race has traditionally thought that you are superior to another race, you are welcome here because we're all one. There's no different nationality in the church. God has brought us all together in one, and I want to thank him for that. Thank you, Jesus.